Welcome to Mission Evolution Radio Show with Gwilda Wiecka, bringing together today's leading experts to uncover ever-deepening spiritual truths and the latest scientific developments in support of the evolution of humankind. For more information on Mission Evolution Radio with Gwilda Wiecka, visit www.missionevolution.org. And now, here's the host of Mission Evolution, Miss Gwilda Wiecka. dear friends, and welcome to Mission Evolution Radio Show, where we share innovative thoughts and explore deepening truth in support of the path to unity and enlightenment. I'm your host, Gwilda Wiecka. This hour, we'll be looking at evolving into oneness. Many sources indicate that currently we're in the process of evolving from dogma, separatism, and polarization into non-duality, interconnectedness, and unity. There's no denying that things are undergoing more rapid shifts and changes than ever before in recorded history. Like comparing a still photograph to a motion picture, the faster things move, the more unified they become, and the more complete the story they tell, exposing ever-deepening levels of truth. What does this mean for us as individuals and as a global community? What shifts and changes will be required of us in order to keep up with the times? What effect will deepening truths have on our belief systems, relationship to life and to each other? What will we experience as we transit from duality to interconnectedness to oneness? With us this hour to ponder these mysteries is Robert Atkinson, the author of nine books, including the 2017 Nautilus Book Award winner, The Story of Our Time, From Duality to Interconnectedness to Oneness, Year of Living Deeply, a memoir of 1969, and Mystic Journey, Getting to the Heart of Your Soul's Story. Robert is an internationally recognized authority on life story interviewing, personal myth-making, and soul-making. He's a professor emeritus at the University of Southern Maine, director of Story Commons, and a member of the Evolutionary Leaders Circle. His website, robertatkinson.net. Robert, thanks for joining us on Mission Evolution. Thank you, Gwilda. It's a pleasure to be with you, especially on this uh, during this uh, World Interfaith Harmony Week. It's a nice week to do this. Um, yeah. you, you have a PhD. What is your major area of study, Robert? Yeah, that's um, developmental psychology is where I ended up. But uh, I, I did a few zigzags along the way. Uh, I majored in philosophy as an undergraduate. I had a master's degree in American folk culture and a second master's degree in counseling. And then my doctoral work was in uh, cross-cultural human development or developmental psychology. What university did you attend? I started out at uh, Southampton College of LIU and went uh, to um, the Cooperstown graduate program, part of the State University of New York system, then to the University of New Hampshire. And finally, my doctoral work was at the University of Pennsylvania. So what is personal myth-making? Personal myth-making. Yeah, that's a good one. I um, That came from my work with Joseph Campbell. I met him in 1970 when I attended one of his Cooper Union talks. And uh, at that time, I was kind of living... What he was, what I was sitting in the Great Hall listening him, to him talk about, and I didn't realize it really at the time, but I was living my own personal myth as he was describing it, and and it's about um, 
uh, it's really what he has written his classic book about the uh, hero of the thousand faces or the journey of the hero. And so it's personal mythmaking is really about looking at our lives in the context of a universal pattern that takes us in terms of, of, of mythic archetypes. It takes us from separation to what we're separation with what we're familiar with to an unknown realm through a series of initiations. And then we return to either the same place or someplace new as a different person. So it's really personal mythmaking is really about the process and, the, and living the pattern of transformation in our lives. And, well, it sounds and, like a shamanic initiation, doesn't it? It is very similar to that because that's where the um, where the the middle part comes from. The, the initiation is is um, definitely. Uh, built on the same principles of, uh, of as the uh, shamanic uh, ceremonies and practices. So, what's the difference between myth making and soul making? Yeah, another interesting one. That um, um, one way to that, uh, there are a number of ways of looking at that. One way would be that um, our when we tell or write our life story, or when we uh, create uh, write our personal myth. What, what we're doing basically is looking at our life from pretty much from a birth to death perspective uh, or womb to tomb perspective. But when we get to the, the process of soul making, that really extends the whole time frame out from conception or maybe even prior to conception to throughout not only including our entire whole life experience, but beyond what happens to our soul as it goes on in its journey after our life on earth is completed. So soul making is really about putting our own life experience in the context of an eternal experience of the journey of the soul. Do you believe we're in a process of an evolutionary leap at this time? I sure do, and we're, what's interesting about that, um, about where we are in that process, <clears throat> is that um, we're, we're really in what I would think of as a spiritual springtime, in that, um, well, going to take a step back for a minute, every um, cycle, uh, well, and, and, and really a step back from that, um, one of the interesting things about this whole way to understand the universe and reality is to think about and understand that there is an inherent harmony between science and spirituality or religion. And so just interestingly, uh, three years ago, one of the leading scientists wrote a, a, a paper in a leading journal called What is the Most Astounding Fact in the Universe? And he, his answer was that the entire universe on all scales and all places and all times obeys the same fundamental laws of nature. So th this is really about understanding how all of the cycles that can be observed in nature are governed by the same principles, the same fundamental laws. So, so this includes things like uh, the cycle of the seasons uh, and, and solar cycles, lunar cycles, as well as seasonal cycles. They all have their times of growth 
decline and renewal. And the interesting thing about that is that if, if reality is one, if there's one fundamental law of nature governing all things, then that would mean that the same has to be true of spiritual cycles or religion itself because all things are governed by this by the one natural law. So that means that there have been also spiritual epics that, that have guided humanity's conscious evolution along a continuum of increasing complexity. And that's been also a process of maturation followed by decline and eventual renewal. As, so so from what I hear from what I hear you saying, we're um, we evolve and devolve in cyclic nature. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and so when we look at um, the cycles of spiritual epochs that have, that have ha- happened throughout our history, you know, that would include the cycles of the world's major prophets from Krishna to Abraham, to Moses, Zoroaster, Buddha, Jesus, Muhammad, and Baha'u'llah, the founder of the Baha'i faith in the mid 19th century. So when, and each of those have had their own, in their own time, have changed the course of human life over the last 4,000 years, bringing about a leap of consciousness with each new epic they initiated. So spiritual epics take centuries before they reach their peak growth or their period of maturity. So that means right now we are in, we're only in a, century and three quarters into the most recent spiritual epic, the Baha'i era. And so we're still in the springtime phase of its, of its growth period. That's pretty fascinating. So um, do we actually devolve spiritually then as well as evolve? Or is it more of a spiral effect? It, it's definitely a spiral effect, yeah. I mean, that, that's, that's kind of the, the meaning of, of evolution is that... Um, the spiral of evolution itself progresses and and evolves, even though, as you said, which is very important to remember that each of those cycles includes within it a a process of of transformation. And we can can talk more about that. That's another section in my book. Um, But yeah, there is a, I mean, it could be seen as a, Evolution with, um, I'm not sure if I would use the word devolution, built, but um, there is a, but it is an evolutionary process with the pattern of transformation built into it, which includes uh, experiences and moments and times during that whole period that in the moment appear to be devolutionary, but they're really essentially an integral part of that transformational process that is, that is, uh... Well, it looks like it's about time for us to take a short pause. <laughs> Robert and I will be back on the other side of this commercial break. Don't go, don't you dare go away. You're listening to the Mission Evolution Radio Show. We're coming to you on the Exxon Broadcast Network, www.xfbn.net. We'll talk back soon.
Welcome back. This is the Mission Evolution Radio Show. We're dedicated to unification and evolution of consciousness. To stay abreast of all the wonderful information and tools we have to offer, visit our website, missionevolution.org. I'm your host, Gwilda Wiecka, and our special guest this hour is Robert Atkinson. His website, robertatkinson.net. Robert, we were talking about the spiral effect of the evolutionary uh, concept, and but you were saying that everything... Um, up, is subject to the same laws of nature. And if we look at the seasons, you go winter, spring, summer, fall, they, Mm -hmm. no two are identical, but they, they tend to come and go. So things spring to life and then they die under the snow. Mm -hmm. How does that relate to spiritual evolution? Yeah, that's, um, it's really the same pattern that, that, I mean, so when we look at the cycle of the seasons, that's the physical realm. When we look at the spiritual epics, that's the spiritual realm, and they are they reflect one another because they're part of the same reality. So the same thing that happens during the cycle of the seasons is also happening during each spiritual epoch that we've had uh, that I referred to earlier. And, and within that cycle, within that grand cycle of many centuries for each spiritual epoch that we've had, it's a process of, of bringing about a transformation of the um, of society, and and that's been different in each time in our history. We've actually gone through, you know, if you go back to the earlier spiritual epics, the transformation was about creating first about creating unity in the family and then in the tribe. And then another spiritual epic was about creating unity in the the city state. Another spiritual epic was about creating unity in the nation. And now we're in a spiritual epic where the uh, purpose of this one is about creating unity on a global scale. But that's the, the, but it's a in order to accomplish that, it's it has to the, the process follows the same pattern in all of those cases, which is when you break down the pattern of transformation, I like to think of it just in, in three simple terms of beginning, muddle, and resolution. So there are time and, and so that that's true. I mean that's also what uh, a way to describe personal myth making that we were talking about earlier. And it's also the same way that uh, collective myth making can be described. That's as true on the collective level as it is in the personal. So right now we're going through a model, a collective model or what we might think of as the uh, dark night of the collective soul, because we see muddles all around us popping up everywhere, and and uh, you know one here and one there, and and there. That seems that seems almost like we're in winter rather than spring. Well, um, so okay, that's a good point because winter takes us into spring, and because each spiritual epic is designed to last um, and take many centuries, eight, 10, 12 centuries to reach its fullness, its period of maturity, it can be a long time from that end of winter to a real, uh, to, to realize that it's a, a spring now. And so right now, only a century and three quarters into this most recent one, we're still seeing signs of that winter. 
and and the, and the uh, it, it's a process really of the breaking down of the old and the building up of the new happening at the same time. So we can see signs of the old order, uh, the old way of seeing the world breaking down around us, while at the same time, we can see signs of a new consciousness emerging. Um, and so we're at a cusp, uh, uh, of, and, and, and we're in, a, in the midst of a shift from what I think of as a, uh, consciousness, consciousness of duality, living by that, which we've done for many centuries, we're shifting now gradually toward living with a consciousness of oneness. Would you mind de- describing what the consciousness of duality is and how it affects us? Yeah, so we, you know, it's, it's an interesting, again, um, I like to look at this and the book takes a big picture perspective on that whole process. And so when we go way back to the to the origin of human life here, the original indigenous peoples came into being with a consciousness of oneness. They understood that they were connected to the universe and everything in the universe was interconnected with each other. Then as humanity started spreading out and, and settling the whole planet, uh, other groups came into contact with each other and that created conflict and that's what brought about a shift to a consciousness of duality and so uh, during that time for the last few a few uh, couple of millennia really there have been so many ways of of um that uh pairs and opposites appear to be in in conflict with each other so you have uh, light and dark and so many other forms of that same uh, basic opposition, uh, but the reality is they are just uh, parts of a whole, and we're coming now into a real, uh, a new. We're really reclaiming the original awareness humanity was born with, which is a consciousness of oneness, which sees the big picture as one, and and even the pairs of opposites within it as a whole and as one. So. So, so, so it's a matter of shifting our perspective from the parts to the whole and seeing the whole as one. So what are the scientific principles behind this evolutionary leap we're talking about? The scientific principles. Well, that's an interesting one, too. It kind of goes back to um, what I mentioned in the beginning uh, when, when, when a leading scientist just, uh, just proclaimed three years ago that... Uh, the most astonishing fact in the universe was that every, uh, the entire universe obeys the same fundamental laws. So here's a scientist saying what many uh, spiritual teachers have said for centuries. Um, it's, a, it's a sign of spirituality and religion coming together, showing that they are in harmony and um as time goes on, I mean, you know, there's the whole area of quantum physics where there are many uh, quantum physicists are saying the same kind of thing about um, seeing the universe as one and, and as well as a reality as one. So there is a merging of science and reality in those ways. Science is now really confirming 
many of the spiritual principles that have been around for centuries and are coming into sharper focus right now in our time. Was the mind calendar and the horoscope um, um, put together based on these laws of nature that we're talking about? How could they not have been? <laughs> I mean, if they worked for what they were designed to do by the, by the Mayans and other peoples um, that used those kinds of calendars, they wouldn't have kept them, you know, they wouldn't have kept uh, using them for so long, for centuries, if they didn't work. And, and they wouldn't work unless they were in harmony with the universal laws of the uh, of nature. So yeah, they they were able to be those laws were able to be discerned from observation and participation in those laws by by living in harmony with the universe around around us. And that's the only way it could be for them to be effective and, and useful. Yeah, they're pretty amazing, and it's like they didn't even have so much as a telescope. So, you know, how did they uh, align with the movement of the universe and, and do a calendar that was so accurate? <laughs> yeah, I'm sure there are other people who could answer that more effectively than I, but uh, the thing is, they're, they're, they had what we would, what some people would call primitive tools for, for uh, discerning that and accomplishing what they did with with what they had, but they were really um, uh, no different than the kinds of tools we have now in our time to do the same thing, only more, you know, maybe a little more precisely or, or more um, uh, through the use of technology. Uh, it, it was the same thing has been possible at all times in, in our history. So from what you're saying, they had the ability to align with the natural law. And now you're also saying that we're evolving to a place where we might have the ability to align with natural law. How's that working? <laughs> well, it's working interestingly because, as I mentioned a bit ago, there, uh, it's all happening as part of a dual process, a process of breaking down and a process of building up. So... Uh, sometimes it, sometimes we get lost in the breaking down parts or the parts that are breaking down. We get, you know, it's hard. It's either hard to let go of what we know so well for so long. But at the same time, there are many more people now recognizing that there is a building up process happening. And there is really what I talk in the book about uh, is a, a global movement unfolding in our time right now, which is really a movement of movements. And it's a, it's a, a network of networks and uh, organizations and groups and, and people who are coming together uh, from many different places and perspectives who are all working on some piece of this greater whole well, I would like to talk about our participate, precipitation, yeah, participating in this movement on the other side of a commercial break. Robert and I will return to our discussion. You stay right there. This is Mission Evolution Radio Show. We're coming to you on the Exxon Broadcast Network, www.xzbn.net.
back. This is the Mission Evolution Radio Show, missionevolution.org, bringing leading-edge information supporting the path to enlightenment. I'm your host, Gwilda Wiecka, and we're speaking with Robert Atkinson. His website, robertatkinson.net. Robert, we were talking about um, the psychic nature of tearing down and building back up. And then you, you went into speaking about how there's different groups and everything, you know, working along with this. How important is our individual uh, uh, participation in this? It's vital. I mean, it's uh, the, the uh, transformation that is in process, the global transformation that is in process is not going to happen unless we all get involved and, and um, understand what it's about and not only flow with it, but help it to happen. It, it, I, I like the uh, to use the metaphor that we're all midwives of this process of, of planetary re- rebirth. And, and so we all have to learn how to become the midwives that are needed for this uh, rebirth of, of um, consciousness now that is underway. And, and it, it, it's essential. I mean, um, you know, there's, there's been the promise of world peace or peace on earth within every spiritual tradition throughout time. And interestingly, each time the people at that time had the tools, the spiritual tools to use to bring that out, to, to bring it about, to make it a, a, poss- a reality. And, and, and that's, that's just as true today. We have the spiritual tools and principles and values to make peace on earth happen. And, but it's not going to happen without us, without each individual playing our role in making that happen. So are you telling me that the um, um, laws of nature are just an influence and then we have to do our part? Exactly. Yeah. When it comes to the human community and the human family coming together as one human family, it's it's up to us to make that happen. It's not going to happen without us. I mean, if there are, uh, you know, we can see uh, both of the, the breaking down and the building up process happening in many ways all around us all the time. And if the People who are uh, part of the um, uh, holding on to the old aren't going to let go. Uh, it's going to be more difficult. It's going to take longer. You know, so the, um, it's it's about the the major shift that's really happening now in terms of the uh, global uh, transformation is a shift from a consciousness of duality, where we've gotten so complacent in. Uh, dealing and living with and dealing with the conflicting opposites that are around us and even creating, even making it more difficult to uh, see beyond or, or those dualities or, or to bring them together. As long as that continues to happen, it's going to be really difficult for uh, the others of us who see the need for and for our survival to bring about a consciousness of oneness, it's going to take longer. As long and, and that's the way it plays out. That, that's the nature of the pattern of transformation. It, it, it's um, you know there's struggle involved. There's not only conflict involved. There's deep struggle involved. And um, you know there's many. Um, civil rights songs about um, struggle 
involves. Yeah, is there is there a difference between duality and polarization? Um, it may depend on how you're using it, but basically, no. Um, I mean, it, it, it really has to do with the way you see the world. And if you see dualities as polar opposites or, or as something that is needed to live with, then polarization, of course, is just as... Um, makes it just difficult to um, to bring about a consciousness of oneness as living with a consciousness of duality would be. So, yeah, they're pretty much the same thing. I mean, polarization and duality would both be eliminated and unnecessary when we are able to, capable of, ready and willing to live with a consciousness of oneness. Well, you you say that um, um, the laws of nature, we're all moving in this direction, right? And mm -hmm. so the physical laws all align with the laws of nature, as do the spiritual one, right, so far? Right. right. Okay, so on a physical level, even the functioning of our cells relies on duality or the polarization of positive and negative charge. How will that fit into this transition you're speaking of? Yeah, the, the, the charge will be there. Um, I mean, it's like, you know, the, the earth turns on its um, biomagnetic forces, and that's not going to change on the, on the planetary level. And uh, the charges are not going to be uh, eliminated on the, on the physical human level either. What's going to change about that, though, is that we will come to understand the purpose and the value of those opposing charges. I, I like that term. It's a good way to look at it because there are charges and, and it's also really all about energy, the way we understand and use and, and work with and live with energy. So there can be a positive and negative charge and there always will be, but they don't have to separate us in the way that uh, everything seems to be uh, creating separation in the world now, because that because that separation is an illusion. When we look at reality and, and understand reality as one, there can be that charge. And what we seem to think now is a is a, a negative charge between opposites will be totally reimagined and seen as a positive charge that can unite us. So it's about, it's also about uh, the principle of unity and diversity. We're not, uh, the, the bringing about a, con a consciousness of oneness is not about eliminating differences. It's about integrating, honoring, and really uh, preserving those differences that do exist within the human family. And when okay, we... so, so let me see if I've got this right. So what you're talking about is developing more mobility rather than just sitting in one, on one uh, side of the fence or the other. Right. Mobility is a good, another good way to look at it. I mean, uh, that's uh, kind of what's one of the things that's required in order to live with uh, a consciousness of oneness or what I refer to as seeing with the eye of oneness. Yeah, that requires the mobility to be able to shift from 
looking at the forest and seeing many trees to looking at the forest and seeing all trees as one. You know, there's many other examples of that, but, but it's a matter of shifting our consciousness in a way that the parts become the whole. And in doing that, there's no um, uh, negative energy or charging involved at all. It's all a, it's all a, a charge toward wholeness and for wholeness to see everything as an essential part of the of, of the whole. And, and so in terms of the human family, it's also about realizing how vital and how much more rich it really makes everything to be able to see all of the all of humanity as a rich flower garden of many colors and and um, you know varieties. So so that enhances and enriches the human family as a whole to see its variety and differences as as a whole. So what's the difference between interconnectedness and oneness? Well, yeah, it, there's not much difference because they're both on a trajectory the trajectory of the of evolutionary consciousness and where it's taking us but one of the differences might be that we can see that we can get to a point where we can see that all things are interconnected and see that and maybe come to understand it but getting to the point of oneness is a is a bit of a shift from interconnectedness in that when we can not only see things through the eye of or with the eye of oneness that helps us that that's really what brings about the shift to a consciousness of oneness so so oneness is about living with that consciousness of oneness and and everything that we do in our lives being a a response to that oneness. Um, inter so interconnectedness is kind of a way of observing and seeing things, while oneness is a way of being and doing in the world because of that oneness. So it's a matter of perspective. Right, right. And, and that makes it, in some sense, relatively easy to make that shift of perspective if we get to the point of recognizing the interconnectedness of all things, it might then become much easier to make that, that um, what prior to that would have been a leap of consciousness, but now it's a, it could become, and because it is also an evolutionary process that can take time and, and you know, be slow individually and or collectively, uh, by the time we get to a, to, the, to a recognition of the interconnectedness of all things, the shift to living in oneness because of that can be, um, a, you know, a subtle step. Well, we're going to need to take another quick break. Robert and I will be back shortly, so don't leave us now. This is the Mission Evolution Radio Show on the Exxon Broadcast Network, www.xzbn.net.
welcome back. This is the Mission Evolution Radio Show, bringing together gifted people of service to the world. I'm your host, Willa Uyeka. I always love to hear from my listeners. You can email me at info at missionevolution.org and suggest a topic or a guest that's on your mind, and I'm sure we'll all enjoy them. Our guest this hour is Robert Atkinson. His website, robertatkinson.net. Robert, we were just getting in, talking about, again, the, how things are breaking down and building at the same time. How long can we expect to have our, be picked up by the ankles and sh- change rattled out of our pockets? How long does this process take? Uh, yeah, that's, uh, that's the key question. And um, nobody can really say in advance of when that's going to happen, but we can say that it could take as long as it takes to bring us to our knees collectively or, or whatever other imagery you want to use to describe that, um, that point at which things will begin to, I mean, we've already passed the point at which things are beginning to, to turn around and to, and to really make progress toward uh, people becoming more aware of a consciousness of oneness and, and wanting to live within that. But, um, you know, we're at a point right now, I mean, today in history, when things, any day, any moment, uh, any week or month could get uh, a lot worse than they are, than they seem to be right now, or they could get a lot better at any point. And depending, uh, you know, it's going to be, it's going to come down to how, how effective all of the people and organizations and movements are in creating this mega movement of movements and network of networks toward oneness to determine whether or not or when we're going to get to that, uh, to, to some breaking point where uh, things will clearly turn around or whether it's going to be a more gradual, gentle, uh, step-by-step process of more and more people becoming, uh, you know, coming to this awareness of, of oneness and, and living this way. You know, it could go either way. That's still totally up to us, the way it's going to play out. Have humans ever undergone this transition before? Yeah, and <clears throat> in, in different ways and different settings and times. So it's been different than it, it is for us now because this is one of those times where there's so much more at stake now than there ever was before. I mean, you know, there's so much at stake right now that it's, it's really about our collective survival. And that's why it's so much more important now for us to take action as, as individuals and as a collective uh, body to, make, to, to ensure that it is going to be a, a gentle birth rather than a, a catastrophic rebirth. Um, that, that choice and that direction is still totally up to us, but, but it's never been like this exactly in that we could, um, you know, if, if, if it doesn't happen the way it's um, designed to, uh, there have been other cycles really even before humanity got to Earth, came to Earth, uh, where there were... Uh, uh, periods of of um, renewal, I mean, death and renewal, where it looked like, I mean, w- you know, within species or or other catastrophes that happen on the planet, 
that uh, even though we, humanity wasn't there at the time, it could have been uh, an end, but it wasn't. I mean, this is the, um, the incredible thing about nature. It always, it, it's so resilient that there was always a renewal every time in the past when uh, the planet came close to extinction, it, it didn't happen because of the resilience and the purpose of its of its creation in the first place. So, you know, you know, I've had um, um, anthropologists and geologists on the show that have told me that um, because of the way the Earth renews herself, we could have been to this state of development and industrialization before, and it would have disappeared so much underneath the crust that there would be no evidence of it. Is it possible that we came to this place before and went down? Well, that's a really interesting one. I mean, it, it depends how far back you go to look for that. If, if we went back more than four or 5,000 years ago, it could be um, possible that that could be the case. But again, I think it would be very different on a very different scale than, than it is right now. Because if we go back beyond four or 5,000 years ago, when we have the beginning of what we think of as, of as the beginning of world religions as we know them today, you know, going back to Krishna and Moses and those which were three, four, five thousand years ago. But from that point on forward, we know the history pretty well. Before that, we don't as well. And it could have been possible, but it would have been on a totally different scale than it is possible right now. Because we're we're in a time in our evolution where it's possible, the only time it's been possible to bring about a global community with a consciousness of oneness. That might have been possible prior to four or 5,000 years ago, but it was only possible on a much smaller scale than it but is how, today. How do, we, how do we know that if these cycles repeat? How do we know that? Well, I think, uh, I mean, and I'm, uh, you know, I'm not the scientist in that way, but I think if you, whatever you, <clears throat> when you go back, if we are talking about before four or 5,000 years ago, you'll see that those cultures, those civilizations that existed then were regional. They were, they were not global, right? Right. Four or 5,000 years is not that far back, though. Right, but that, but three, three, four thousand years ago would be the time of Krishna, the time of Moses, Abraham, um, and and at that time, prior to that, everything, every civilization that existed prior to that was only regional, at 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 the largest, in many cases more more localized. I mean, you know, that that's the time of of the Mayans in. Peru and, and, and Mexico and so on, and um, they were only a small regional culture or s s civilization. Today, we have a global civilization. How do you see the indigenous cultures as being important to the spiritual evolution of our day? Yeah, that's really, um, really a key thing, because when, um, as I mentioned before, when indigenous cultures came, peoples came into being, they had spiritual beliefs of an overarching interconnectedness that were not separate from any other of their daily actions or behaviors. So they lived every day, every moment with an understanding of that interconnectedness. But over the millennia, as culture spread out 
and interacted. That's when a consciousness of duality became pervasive. But now, as the world's people are all attempting to regain a sense of harmony and unity, indigenous cultures hold the missing link to knowing how to live with a consciousness of oneness. And that's why all of these movements that are happening today are happening with indigenous peoples at the forefront of these movements and the movements of movements and the networks of networks. They all have indigenous peoples at the forefront because they do hold the missing link of knowing how to live with a consciousness of oneness, which is what we all, the rest of us, need to learn to live with now. You know, there's a lot of myths about how um, each indigenous tribe took a part of the truth, cast to the four corners of the world, and now's a time when that all comes back together. This kind of mm -hmm. lines up, doesn't it? It does, very much, yep. And so that's where the uh, cycles of, of evolution come in as well. It's been, a, it's been a cyclical evolutionary process that is bringing us now to the point where the original indigenous peoples were when they first came to this, to this planet. Well, we have just a, a little bit of time left. Robert, I'd like to have you tell us, what can we as individuals do to assist this process? What's the most important thing we can do? Well, uh, there are a number of things. I mean, individually, um, I do have in the book a meditation on living in oneness, and that is um, <clears throat> something that can be done regularly. I also have, <coughs> excuse me, on my website, I also have the Oneness Pledge, which is kind of like a mantra or uh, an, another form of a daily practice that everyone can le learn and, 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 and bring into their regular practice. Uh, the, the Oneness Pledge goes like this. In all my thoughts and actions, I pledge to look on all things with the eye of oneness. And if that becomes a regular daily practice, then we do begin to see everything and look upon all things with the eye of oneness, which means that would eliminate the separation that normally exists between us. It would eliminate barriers and boundaries and, and all of, it wouldn't matter what the differences were as long as we see each other with the eye of oneness. So, so that's one major thing that can really help um, any any one of us. The other thing- Well, Robert, as always, time has flown and I'm afraid <laughs> we're out of it. I can't thank you enough for being on the show. Thank you, it's been a pleasure to speak with you. Our guest this hour has been Robert Atkinson, the author of nine books, including the 2017 Nautilus Book Award winner, The Story of Our Time, From Duality to Interconnectedness to Oneness. His website, robertatkinson.net. Remember to join our email family to stay abreast of all the exciting new things we have coming up at missionevolution.org. This has been Mission Evolution Radio Show with Gwilda Wiecka on the Exxon Broadcast Network, www.xzbn.net. Join us next time as the mission continues, bringing information, resources, and support to an evolving world. <laughs>